Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tavar Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. Now, let's start the show. This is Bike Life, and we are glad that you're back with us again today. And I have Josiah with me, who is a people-focused, slow traveler and author. Thank you for joining the show. No, thank you for having me. Big fan. I'm excited. I loved the first conversation that we had, some of what you talked about in terms of transformation and the profound impact that bike touring has had on you, I think was so relevant to our community that I wanted to share your story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to have some more conversation and hopefully share some of what I've learned. We have some of the best accents on this show, right? I think of all the people that we have from around the world on this podcast. And so share with everyone where your accent is from. So I'm I'm English, but I don't know if my accent is English anymore. I often get confused even by English people for South African or Australian. And I think it's just through trying to speak very clearly to everyone that I've met through years of travel. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm sure to you, I, I sound very American, although I did spend like 14 years in Canada. So when I was in Canada, everybody thought I sounded American. And then when I moved back to Colorado, everybody said I sounded Canadian. I'm like, oh, you can't win. I sound like me. <laughs> That's it. I'm just That's enough. So, right. Same with you. So you just sound like you. You're a combination of lots of things. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about your bike touring experience. When did it start? And first of all, what made you passionate about doing long distances on your bicycle? So I I studied law at university, and I've kind of been running away from it for the six years (laughs) since I graduated. I uh, finished and more or less immediately set off to cycle from England to Australia, which I thought would be a one-year journey. And it's kind of still going. I've taken a few gaps here and there. Currently, I'm on pause uh, with COVID. But yeah, it's a never-ending trip. I've just fallen in love with traveling by bike, with the experiences that it gives you, the people that you meet, and the style of travel that it is. So when you left law school, did you not pursue law at all? No, I decided in my first year of university, I was studying for an essay, procrastinating, and I stumbled onto an article about someone that had cycled around the world. <laughs> my, my first reaction was obviously, what? You can't cycle around the world, can you? And then I read deeper into the article and discovered that they actually had. And that was just a light bulb moment. I wasn't a cyclist, but this seemed to fulfill so many things that I was searching for and seemed far more exciting than the law essay I was trying to write. And so within five minutes, I was running downstairs to tell all my flatmates and friends that I was going to cycle to Australia. Oh and of course, gosh. they said, you can't do that. You're going <laughs> to die. Other people do that, but not normal people like you. And of course, that, that just stoked the fire inside me. Oh, my gosh. I love it so much. That's nothing like issuing a challenge by saying you can't do that. No, oh, it's very dangerous words. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what happened from the time you read the article until you got on your bike and started like pedaling? So I did I did want to finish my degree. I didn't want to yeah. drop out of university. 
So I kind of had two or three years where it never entered my mind that I wasn't going to do this trip. And I had all this dead time to kill waiting for it. So I was probably over-prepared. I never really did much in the way of cycling or training. I figured that I might not enjoy cycling. And so it was better to find that out once I'd left. (laughs) So you didn't do any training in preparation for your trip? (laughs) No, I didn't really do very much, but I did do a lot in the way of logistics. I planned the routes. I researched copious amounts of visas and different ways that I could travel, how to camp in the wild. Basically, I wrote a list of every obstacle that was stopping me heading off on this trip. And then they were the things that I had to overcome. And they were things like not having any money, not being very fit, down to the really boring things like being scared, scared of wild camping, scared of not speaking the language. And I either needed to solve that problem or get to a point where it didn't matter. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, within a week or two of setting off, all those plans were discarded and I had the (laughs) confidence just to wing it along the way. Yeah, I love that. So what was that first week like after being on a bicycle all day? How did your body feel? Yeah, I was in a lot of pain, but <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a friend joining me for the first two weeks. And so for those first two weeks, it kind of just felt like two buddies off on a summer trip and not the start of this grand adventure that was going to go on for years. And so it was kind of exciting to work out that this life that had been totally theoretical And I knew, oh, this is how I'll find somewhere to camp. This is how I'll get my food. This is my budget. I thought about this thousands and thousands of times over the previous years. And just to realize that it was actually possible and to find little hacks, like it was really hot in France, but I could fill up my water bottles in the cemetery because every cemetery had taps you could water flowers. And little hacks like this, learning the key phrases to communicate with the people that I was passing through um, yeah, it was just a proof of concept that this was going to work. Did you feel like you needed to like pinch yourself once you were actually on the trip and you weren't planning anymore, but you were actually doing it? Yeah, absolutely. It just felt like everything I'd been waiting for. It did feel a little bit anticlimactic because I'd mm-hmm. dreamed of cycling over the Himalayas, crossing deserts, and then you're just cycling in really familiar countryside. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little bit like, oh, I wanted more challenge. I want it to be hard. Um, with hindsight, I wish I'd enjoyed it more at the time. Yeah. <laughs> because that, the hard challenge and things were going to come. They came. Yeah, they eventually yeah. came. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't need to search for them. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, okay, so what was, like, you started off, where did you start? Where was your beginning? So I started off in Kent in England. So that's just about an hour south of London. And by the end of the first day, I'd got on the ferry at Dover. And I'd got an hour and a half later, I rolled off in Calais in France. So the whole of Europe and Asia, all the way to Singapore was just stretching invitingly in front of me. Mm. And, And that's when you started to just release your plans and start to flow a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. There was one, there was one turning point that came after a month which was, so for the first month, I stuck quite religiously to my plans. I had my friend with me for the first two weeks, and then I kind of just kept my bike pointed to Istanbul. And all this time, I was trying to race through Europe and Central Asia, because already I'd left a bit late in the season, 
because that was when my school uh, university finished. And um, I was trying to get through the mountainous period, the mountains of Europe and Asia before winter came. And then after a month, I was in Bosnia and I met two cyclists that were coming back from Singapore. And I'd nearly cut my fink thumb off trying to fix my tent. And of course, the bike always provides. One of them was a nurse and was able to help me out. And so I ended up camping, them, camping with them for three days. And they were everything that I'd wanted a cycle tourer to be. They were adventurous and slow. Unlike other travelers I've met that boasted about how fast they cycled or how much distance they covered in the day, they told me how slow they were. Ah, we never do more than 60 kilometers a day, they said. We go as slow as possible, but we head for the most mountainous roads. We head as far off the beaten track as we could find. And I listened to their photos and videos and stories and decided I wanted to be just like them. Mm. And more or less from that one encounter, my trip went from a one-year trip to a three-year trip as I decided, right, I'm going to really slow down. I'm not going to go through the mountains this winter, but next spring. And I'm in a zigzag, a search for the mountains, get off the beaten track. And that was probably a big pivot in the trip. And I'm quite lucky that it came so early on. That sounds extremely transformational for you. Yeah, very much. Hmm. Well, overnight, they said, right, we're either going to force you to get on a train tomorrow. And we're going to send you 2,000 kilometers across Europe to Turkey. And then, and then you'll get through before winter comes. Or you can slow down. You can take as long as you want to really see the places that you're passing through. You'll have to stop for a couple of months over winter, and then you can head through next spring. And that was a really difficult position to be in because I'd just left two months earlier triumphantly. And suddenly I'm forced with either skipping thousands of kilometers, which I was far too stubborn to do, or almost accepting defeat and that I was going to have to stop over that winter. Hmm. Had you finished school by then? So what did you, did you have the time? Like, was it easy for you? You had planned a year, so I guess you had the time. So it was okay for you to slow down your, your role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you document this along the way? Yeah. So I kept a journal every single day. I spent many evenings in my tent, uh, just writing scribbling notes from the day. And I really developed a love of, um, of photography and actually across the trip, sharing the stories and messages that I was learning became almost a focus and as important as the trip itself in some ways. Because I'm sure you met more influential riders along your journey. Yeah, yeah, very many. Now, let's take a moment to learn a little bit more about today's episode being brought to you by BikeFlights.com, a bicycle shipping service for cyclists. You'll enjoy fast delivery, great prices, and excellent service with every shipment. Select your shipment's delivery speed to suit your schedule and tap into their group buying power to get great rates. Throughout the shipping process, their support team, made up of fellow cyclists, works directly with their carrier's exclusive global operational team so that your shipment will arrive on time. Join the more than 700,000 cyclists who have used bikeflights.com to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009 and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track your shipments. 
Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today to find out more information and to book your shipment. Now back to the show. So where was your favorite place? Where did you spend the longest? Oh, my favorite place would have to be India. Um, and again, this is a story where it, everything had gone wrong. I'd reached Kyrgyzstan on the edge of Central Asia, and I'd always planned to go into China next. And I reached the Chinese border, and they said, you can't come. And because of the countries I'd been through before, and I had their stamps in my passport, uh, China suspected me as a terrorist or a spy. On a bicycle. On a bicycle, yeah. That's how they're getting around these days. (laughs) (laughs) And so my path ahead was just kind of cut, cut off. There was nowhere that I could go. I couldn't go north through Russia. I couldn't go south through Afghanistan. And it really felt like my route had just dead-ended. And more or less overnight, when I went to bed, I thought I was a failure and the trip was over. But then I woke up with a renewed resilience and a passion. And I remembered that I'd gone on this trip for adventure. And so I booked a one-hour plane and then a three-day train across India to the southernmost point. And I more or less just turned around pointed my bike north, which was the only way you could go from there, and set off. And every day, it was a question of asking the locals, shall I go this way or that way? Shall I follow the mountains or the coast? Which way is more beautiful? And of course, you'd get invites, oh, come go this way because my sister's getting married there next weekend. Mm. Or go that way because there's a big festival. And so, yeah, that was just a fantastic experience. I was in India four months in total. And I was actually also giving talks to schools and bicycle clubs as I went along on this trip. You were. What made you decide to do that? Just I really felt that I was, I had a message and an outlook that I was quite privileged and fortunate to have. When I'd been in Turkey, there was a terrorist attack in Europe by Turkish uh, citizens. And the things I read in the media were so shocking to me, especially having been in Turkey for two months. And they were the media were kind of painting everyone with a broad brush. Mm. And I mean, we're all used to it in the media, often just not being fully representative. And so I almost felt that I had an obligation to share my story, which felt so much more authentic and contrary Mm -hmm. to what I'd encountered before. I spent a few weeks in Istanbul a few years ago, right when... um you know, the State Department issued, the State Department in the United States issued that Americans shouldn't travel to Turkey. I went anyway. I was there for a business trip, but I ended up staying for a little while longer and spent some time in one of the local communities with a contact I had. And it was by far one of the most beautiful places I'd been to. The The people that I experienced, the culture that I experienced was so profoundly impacting on me. And yet I know that that is not how that particular area of our world is often talked about. And my perspective was, well, first of all, I would love to go back to Turkey. (laughs) For sure. I love Turkey. Yeah, I really love Turkey. One of my favorites too. In fact, I find that the places that have the worst reputation are the ones that resultantly see the fewer tourists and resultantly are the ones that are the most hospitable and you actually have the the most interesting and unique experience. Yeah, we could have a whole podcast on how mainstream media is not the place to go for your news. 
absolutely. And it's not reflective of the people, right? It's often reflective of the politics, but not the people. That's how it feels to me. So Turkey's a very good example. I'm glad you brought that up as an example. I had the same experience. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd want to be lumped in with British politics or, (laughs) you know, Michelle and I are Americans. So we, we, you know, we don't want to get lumped in with American politics either. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So Josiah, tell me like this, like this transformation that you went through that slowed your role and allowed you to really continue to remind yourself that you were seeking adventure, right? Um, like, how did that impact you when you came back? Because you were gone for, what, two or three years in total? I was gone for three years. And so had how long ago was that? So I finished in 2018. Okay. But then the trip led to so many other opportunities. I, I worked in Australia for six months after I finished just to top up the, uh, the coffers. Yeah. And then an email came out the blue uh, inviting me to sail across the ocean from Australia to South Africa. And so I'm, I said, can my bike come on board? Is there space? And he said, oh, I'm sure we can figure something out. So suddenly me and my bike were on a boat for three months. And then we got off in South Africa. And then that led to three months cycling across South Africa. And kind of everything was a chain of events. I then got a series of jobs for a uh, hiking and cycling company. And everything was just leading on from new opportunities all from that one decision back at university to cycle around the world uh, right up until COVID struck. And then I got a little bit stuck. Still, I'm still a little bit stuck, but the, the bike and the bike travel is again what's keeping me going and giving me hope that soon I'll be back out on an adventure again. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a different time. And I feel like that first article that you read was like your intuition yelling at you that this is possible. It's like your whole path started that day and you listened, right? You 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 allowed your your mind, your body, your spirit, whatever you want to call it, to like connect you to information. It's like, here you go. This is this is a really good idea. Why don't you look at this? And you're like, oh my gosh, run downstairs. Yes. And it set off the whole chain of events of everything you're doing now. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I look back on that, on that 20, 19, 20 year old reading that article and just can't believe he had the audacity, the naivety <laughs> to stumble onto the article and think that he could do it. And at the time, I, everyone would ask, why are you doing this? And I just could not give a satisfactory answer. And I remember finding it so annoying because obviously if you tell someone you're cycling, you're doing this unusual thing you're cycling around the world, people want to know why. And it's a perfectly reasonable question. And I just could not think of an answer. And it took a long, a long way into the trip before I could answer that question. And the answer lied in curiosity and continuing learning and personal challenge. And these are all still buzzwords. I'm still not sure it's a satisfactory answer, but I'm a lot closer to knowing why I do these things than I was six years ago. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really a great way of putting it. And thank you for being willing to share that. I think that there are a lot of people that experience that need to be curious and experience something different than maybe just what what our mainstream world looks like in a lot of ways. And so thank you for sharing that. I'm sure people will be inspired by feeling that same kind of inquisition of what's going on inside of us that makes us want to do something different. Yeah, and I would urge anyone that even if 
even if it just feels right. I'd say that's one of the things that I've learned is that you don't have to have everything planned out and the, a finely tuned gut instinct can really count for a lot with a trip of this of this type. And if it seems like something that you'd be interested in, then that's definitely worth pursuing. I love that. And I also love that you've shared that you had so many plans in place that you eventually had to scrap. <laughs> uh, yeah. Honestly, the trip was one, one cancellation after another, but it was kind of liberating to just think, okay, things are going to work out better than I can plan them. Right. Devolve. So even when, like, like the example in India, I just gave up all responsibility for planning. And it was quite liberating to say, okay, you tell me which direction to go. I'll just be the guy pedaling the bike. I love it. I'm sure the people that you encountered loved giving you that advice. They do. They kind of like, and that, that was something I learned. You let people get as invested in the trip and they get so excited about sharing their favorite spots or their favorite village or just playing a small role in your trip. And for me, it was yeah. all, always a better experience because of that. So do you, how do you keep in touch with the people you met during that time? Mostly do through, you? yeah, I, I do mostly through Facebook and WhatsApp. And I did buy a SIM card in every country as I went just so that I could continue keeping in touch with family and friends back home, which mm. is obviously really important, but also keep in touch with people on the way. Right. Um, and, and I love that. And by the way, make sure that you, or we may, we'll make sure that we put your social media in the show notes. So if anybody wants to connect to you and see your photos or how you've shared your journey, we will put those links in the show notes so people can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be fantastic. Wonderful. Well, listen, Josiah, this has been great. I love, I love the attitude that you have, the way that you've learned, the way that you're sharing, the way that you were willing to like allow your intuition to just drive you to continue to receive new opportunities and ways. Like that's because it's, it wasn't just the first time that you saw the magazine article and you decided it's every step along the way you've allowed more, more and more and more unfolding. And I think that that's really the spectacular part of what you're sharing. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so Josiah, I'm going to ask you this question. What is the most important thing that you think that someone should plan for or embrace even on a mindset level if they're embarking on a tour that's going to be long? Whew. I think it would be my attitude of slow travel. I think just be open for the unexpected be spontaneous and let let your gut gut instincts and curiosity curiosity guide your path and especially with no deadlines you really will be surprised what opportunities arise and things that you won't have been able to plan the the people that you meet will know more than the internet it seems mm. hard to believe when we're sitting at home with all our home comforts but they're the experts not the internet that's so true. And that is a perfect way to wrap this up. So thank you so much, Josiah, for joining us. And for those that are listening, if you want to connect with Josiah, because obviously he's amazing, we will put the links in the show notes for you. And Josiah, keep us posted as the restrictions start to lift. And if you tour again and you want to come back on, consider this an open invitation. We'd love to continue with you along your journey. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And for everyone listening, again, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and we will be back soon.
Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Wherever you are listening, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.